When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking City from the Manchester Evening News, talking all things Manchester City, of course. My name is James Robson, I'm the Manchester City editor. With me is Alex Porter, a football writer, and also special guest Ian Cheeseman, who you will all know very well and needs no further introduction. Hello. 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 How are we? I'm very good, thank you. Are you down from the high of the... No. Oh, no. <laughs> In short, do you, do you want to finish the sentence? I'm what, not what down from any about? highs at the moment. The way City are playing is uh, is like I'm, I'm in a dream somewhere and I keep thinking in a minute, somebody's go, my mum's going to shake me on the shoulder and I'm going to go, oh, hello, I've got to go to school now. And the whole thing's been a dream. A um, bit, bit like Bobby in the Dallas shower, you know, coming out and finding <laughs> out that the, the whole thing's not really happened. Because it is just amazing, so... Um, no, I've not got over it yet. I don't think I'll ever get over what I'm seeing at the moment. <laughs> follow that. How can you follow that? <laughs> um, I, I actually thought the second half against Napoli was the most interesting part of what we've seen. Um, can anyone stop City? Clearly not Stoke. Um, but it wasn't something that you ever thought they were going to stop City in this current mood. Whereas they were fantastic against Napoli, certainly for the first half an hour. Probably the first half, really, if you take that half. Um, but the second half, they, they were much less good. But the resolve that City had showed that they've got a bit of steel to go with the uh, the style that we're all really excited about. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, um, the, the thing about Napoli is that they're a good side. Uh, Pep taught them up. Uh, they, they had this perfect start in their own domestic league. They threatened that they were going to field a weakened side, but didn't in the end. And we saw what Roma against Chelsea was like. And it, that showed to me the Italian league is a very strong league. Uh, Napoli are above Roma, of course, in that domestic league. So what I saw in the second half was Napoli playing a lot better and actually putting pressure on City. Now, the intensity the, and the way that City plays all about dominating possession and, and playing at your best all the time. That is, if you like, the only flaw in this system in that you have to actually play at your best. Although, what you're saying there, Alex, about um, you know having to dig in maybe a little bit in the second half, it, it, you know, clubs have to do that in situations. And certainly when it comes to the derby matches um, and when it comes to the latter stages of the Champions League and certain other games that may come along, City will have to show that other side. But it won't be that City will play ugly football because they only play one way it's that they will have to show that resolve in the second half that they did against Napoli. But I think as much of that is down to how good Napoli were. Well done, Napoli. Thanks for, for coming and having a go and attacking and providing us with a fascinating game. I thought, watching that game, I, I was thinking back to last season, and last season City swept everyone aside in the first ten games. They were unstoppable. And then teams learned how to play against them, found a way, and City maybe took until pretty much the end of the season to to find another way. 
And watching it, I was wondering, have Napoli found the way? Because last season, it was probably Celtic who, who were the first ones to find the way, wasn't it? And then Tottenham, and it started to unravel from there. So I was thinking, well, have Napoli now found the way? Because if you look at from 2-0, Napoli miss a penalty and then score a penalty. So all things being equal, 2-2, let's say. Um, could have, could, could have been. The question to you then, James, is... What did they do? What did Napoli do then that was different in well, the second half? This, <laughs> this is precisely the point I was getting to. Um, what they did was that they were an excellent team, a team that are currently sweeping all aside in Italy. Now, if that's the way that you Let's have a bit more detail on that. Come on, don't, <laughs> I'm just saying that they're an excellent no, side. No, Give me a bit more detail. My point is that you've got to be that good. You've got to be at that sort of level. Now, I think uh, Guardiola actually explained much better than I can as to what Napoli did in the second half that was so much better and it was that the speed of their passing City couldn't quite cope with as well as they had in the first half it was all one two touch stuff and they were passing around the City players in a way that nobody has done so far this season I totally take Alex's point that I think we saw so much in City their resolve in not losing that game not even drawing that game they won the game and that's told us a lot about Guardiola's side and what they can do going on now in the season but my point is it's taken the best team in Italy by a mile to play at their very best to still come away and lose. And if that's a team finding City out, then they're going to be in good shape. What I would say is that um, if you're right, they are a fantastic team and if they are, I'm a much better team than Stoke. But I, I will wait for Mourinho to try and prove me wrong. But for me, the worst thing that teams can do against the City side is sit in. You've got to come and have a go. Klopp took that to extremes with 10 men and a very naive performance, I thought, personally, in the second half against City. But to come in and sit in and go, oh, they're, they're really good, let's just see how long we can defend for, that's suicide, you can't do that. And Napoli did come and have a go in the second half, and that was a big difference for me. But there's a big difference between and Napoli... And Well, yes, and there's, they've, they'd had a poor first half, perhaps, but yeah. But there's a big difference between Napoli coming and having a go and, say, Brighton coming and having a go, isn't there? Brilliant. What what Alex said there has just nailed it for me. Um, well, and all these times I'm with James, you know, and I never, I've never said that sentence. No, but you're right because uh, the only way I believe that you can you can really take City on is to do what City are doing better. Mm, agree. Right. So that the teams who sit and, and defend, you're right, are just hoping that they can just keep them out and. The Derby match will be fascinating yeah, because if if Jose is going to go with that philosophy that he did at Liverpool, which seems to be in his DNA, yeah. then you know how will that that play out? I I still think City will come out on top in these battles, but um, Napoli had the uh, ability and had the self belief and everything to have a go. So I'm sitting here saying that City. They're not exactly going to sweep everything before them because you never know when injuries are going to come up, a loss of form are going to come up. Those things are all imponderable. So that's why I don't predict the outcome of individual games and why I don't predict what's going to happen. But if City carry on playing like this, everybody remains on form, everybody remains fit, then I'm absolutely convinced they will win the league. And the only team that can stop them in a cup competition is a team like Napoli, like Real Madrid, a team that, that uh, will play with no fear, that will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and try to do exactly what you said, Alex, passing around them. And that is where City is slightly weak. But to say that the weak is, is in a way ridiculous. Kevin De Bruyne is not a tackler. David Silva is not a tackler. 
Raheem Sterling is not a tackler. Sané is not a tackler. So they don't have a midfield full of players who are naturally going to make tackles. So therefore, that's why when a Napoli with belief, a Real Madrid with belief, whatever, start passing themselves, that's when you can that's when they can be vulnerable. Watching the first half an hour, this is precisely what was going through my head. That first half an hour I thought was as good as City have played this season, thought even better than Stoke and even better than Chelsea. And I was watching it, I'd seen United v Liverpool at the weekend and I thought, can Mourinho actually hold, up, hold out against this sort of fluidity of attack? The amount of overlapping players they've got, and we, we talked earlier about this, about Sterling and, and his tappings. He's getting tappings because he's always on the follow-up after, after a shot's been saved, it seems. I was thinking, can could United actually go there and play like they did against Liverpool in such a defensive way and hold out this City team? And, well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? I'm not entirely sure that going toe-to-toe is the answer, though. I, I think we've seen enough Italian teams down the years get the better of much more fluid attacking sides. Um, I'm thinking Juventus last year on their way to the final before eventually losing to Real Madrid, admittedly. But, for instance, the game against Barcelona. Barcelona play like City and Juventus stop them. I think a well-organised defence can stop even the best attack. You've got to have a bit of a, a bit of luck, perhaps, though. I mean, if you look at that United-Liverpool game, yes, there was a, it, was, it was terrible, there were no goals scored, but Liverpool should have scored, shouldn't they? I mean, that, that save from David De Gea was helped by the fact that Matip was, did not put it in the best place. So if you can go really defensively and yet you've still got to rely a little bit on a goalkeeper having a fantastic day and stars like Sterling or Sane not following in and missing but the target. But that works both ways, doesn't it? Because attacking-wise, we always think about, oh, that hit the post, that hit the lucky for the defence, but we don't think about, oh, that just deflected into his path for the striker to put it in, in the goal. It works both ways, doesn't it? If you've got, I suppose that, that's the beauty of the game, the chess game that Mourinho puts it, that if two sides are perfectly matched, then, yeah, it does require a bit of luck. I saw a strap line, and I'd be really interested to hear what you think about this, James, because I saw a strap line that had your name on it, where you thought maybe Mourinho would ultimately win this this title battle, um, and obviously this is what this is the the essence of what we're talking about about the 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 contrast in styles. So, do you think personally that that the way to to beat City then is to is to to be very stoic and defensive and to to grind out a result rather than the Alex way, which is to outplay them. Yes, at the moment, yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd say unless you are Real Madrid or Barcelona, let's say, I think for the majority of teams, that's your best chance to hold them out. And like Alex says, need a lot of luck as well. But in that sense, that's nothing new. You know, I, I think we'd, we'd all agree that the way City are playing at the moment may well be taking us to new levels of attacking football that we've seen in this country so far. But it's nothing new that teams would sit in and try to stop United down the years, Arsenal down the years. That, that, that's nothing new. And I think that is the only way. Because I, I think if you go head-to-head with City, you're going to get absolutely destroyed. It says how good City are, but what I would, what I, the example I would use is Chelsea a couple of years ago when they won the Champions League and didn't actually play particularly creatively on the way to winning that and yet ended up winning it. Mm. So I suppose that's the crux of your argument, isn't it? That that you can do it in that way 
rather than than go toe to toe. But you don't have to be the most talented attacking side to win things. And I think if you look down the years, teams that do win things aren't always that. You know, when Barcelona did it under under Guardiola, they were. But that was that's not the norm, is it? The norm the way, is it's the perfect way. Though, it isn't is the it? perfect way, but. Perfection doesn't come around too often, and that's why Barcelona don't win it every year. Which um, then, which then leads to the, the secondary question, which you, you know I'm introducing the question, and I know it's your show, I but but nevertheless, um, you know if if City ultimately are beaten to the title by United this season, if that was to happen, I I don't think that will happen. But if that was to happen, but you've watched a season of this Manchester City team, or you've watched a season of that Manchester United team. I believe that there is a different personality generally in between City and United fans. And I think United fans, it's all about winning. And although City fans want to see their team win, I think City fans are, are different. Obviously, for a start, they've got a sense of humour. But anyway, that's a different <laughs> subject. But um, I personally, as, as a, as a long-time City fan, whilst I'd be disappointed about not lifting a trophy, it wouldn't be the end of the world to me because... I would have had one of the most magnificent seasons of all time and you just have another go the next year. But would I be satisfied with just winning at all costs? No. With that one, I don't know. I can't speak for, for all fans. I think, though, football is about winning trophies. The ideal is that you win trophies the way City are playing. But football is about more than just playing the nicest football, isn't it? Because there are... Not everyone's got Lionel Messi, so to stop Lionel Messi, that's where things like tactics come in, and that's where managerial ability comes in. So unfortunately, it's not a case of just 11 players versus 11 players, the best, the best lot win. Otherwise, really, then every team with Messi wins, don't they? And that's why Mourinho is as successful as he's been. And not just Mourinho, by the way, he's not the only manager who's ever come up with tactics. You have to find a way to stop the opposition, and that's Use not this, just football. That's uh, this example before. This. I know Alex is bursting to come in, and I'm not all, you know, deliberately holding you back here, Alex. But back in '82, which you won't remember, which well, is why I've, will got, not. I've got to make this point. Um, the Italy Italy team that had Rossi in it um, and was was mainly defensive-minded beat the great Brazil team of '82 in that World Cup, who were all about trying to play the perfect way. So yeah, I just wanted to say that that illustrates again that, um, that sort of Mourinho's Chelsea, Mourinho's now United, Mourinho's even Real Madrid um, and some of the Italian sides particularly of the past have all been about uh, you know trying to play on the counter. Forest, Forest, mm -hmm. the, the great Forest team that won the European Cup twice under Clough was built on the counter attack, John Robertson and Trevor Francis and all the rest of it. So you know of course that can win. But that's still, what we all love. Still want the perfect way to course, win. Alex, come on, you come that, into this. Just let me say, that's why we all love Pep Guardiola, because Pep Guardiola doesn't want to make those compromises. He wants to play the beautiful way, the Johan Cruyff way, to win, not only to win, but to win and be the most attractive team. However, might I say that Johan Cruyff was part of a Holland team that were probably the most attractive team, didn't win the World Cup. Correct. So the best, the best and most attractive team doesn't always win. What I would say is, as James said, you can't speak for all fans, can you? But what the interesting thing would be if, if Pep doesn't win the league this year or, or next year for, for the sake of argument, what the owners would, would feel about that. Would they prefer to be winning trophies or would they prefer to be playing really attractive football for three years and not win anything? I would say that um, given what they how, how Manuel Pellegrini's time at the club was described as ultimately a disappointment and he won three trophies, 
they want to win things. But obviously, they've absolutely bought in to what Guardiola's doing, given him the money to do what we are now seeing. And their idea, just like his, is that they're going to play like this and they're going to win everything. And therefore, that question is not necessary to even answer, is it? Well, I mean... You have so, just answered it. Yes, but I'll answer it anyway. <laughs> but, but to me, it feels like City, for a long time, have targeted Pep Guardiola. We saw that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was only reading some of the Cruyff book the other day. And in fact, I did the column in the Evening News this week on this subject. And, uh, and, and Cruyff uh, built the Mestalla at um, Barcelona. And you could argue, I know it started before he came, but... To me, it's all part of the same master plan that the academy was was developed and built under the Pep Guardiola regime. It was technically under Pellegrini at that time. And so, therefore, the whole way that the club is designed for the present and going forward still feels as if it's under Pep. So if Pep ultimately doesn't bring in trophies, I don't see this ownership going, right, off you go, let's bring in Carlo Ancelotti or let's bring in somebody else. This obviously isn't working too much has been invested financially and morally or however you want to put it in in the pep way of playing and i think that these owners yes they might have been a bit disappointed on the pellegrini because pellegrini wasn't quite as central to it all as as guardiola is but no to me he, he's not i mean we're talking ridiculous really in a way because City are going brilliant at the moment, so why would even anybody question it? But if ever it gets to the point where it's a trophyless season, I don't think Pep's under any pressure whatsoever. Well, I don't think it's going to be an issue because I think that the this type of football and the way he's playing is going to win trophies. Um, I would agree with you. I, I was a, it was a hypothetical question. I, I agree with you. I think um, I it think was cheesy you brought up. Well, yes. City fans being happy without a trophy. Yes, it was. Despite them sitting at the top I, of the table and top of the Champions League. I think group they'll win the league. I, I do think they win. The, they will win Play the, the league. Play the tape back. <laughs> <laughs> Not have tapes these days. Just just hit the rewind bit. So moving on. <laughs> I think have we, have we just about. I think we've just about covered uh, exhausted that, haven't we? For now. For now, we, we may come. We may come back to it. Central to City's success so far this season, well, there have been any number of players, but someone who stood out for me is Raheem Sterling. He got his eighth goal on Tuesday, which makes him the joint leading scorer, which is remarkable given his finishing, let's say, over in recent years. Is he the most improved player in the Premier League? In the Premier League? Wow, that's a big statement. Um, I don't think he's even the most improved player at City. Um, yes, he's improved as, as of all the players who have been brought along by Pep Guardiola. But while Sterling is improving, it might seem a, an obvious thing to say, but De Bruyne is the most improved player. Um, now, to me, he, he's getting better almost week by week. Even David Silva, at his age, and, he, and you'd think he'd learnt all the tricks, he's starting to play in a slightly different way now under Pep. So I think he's improved too. So they're all improving. I wouldn't say particularly Sterling stands out. Sane is also... Would you not say Sterling leaps and bounds? Okay. He almost <laughs> plays like that as well. The way he runs along, he's leaping and bounding down the line, isn't he? But just let me pull you back to my, my, my original point. Yeah, no. <laughs> I would say Sterling had a steeper curve and I'd say he's, he's made that steeper curve. I'd say De Bruyne was already one of the best players in the league, if not Europe, last, last season. He's been sensational this season, but I don't think he's made as steep a climb as Sterling, who, let's be frank here, um, 
was was pretty much known as a, someone who you would never trust in front of goal. Um, a frustrating winger who loses the ball. Um, when it was suggested that he might go to Arsenal as a uh, in part exchange for Alexis Sanchez, I don't think too many people were crying about the idea. Could even see that yes, that would be a position where they could improve. And now he's the joint leading scorer. So that was my point. Alex, are you going to agree with me? No. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I am actually. Um, oh. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, got you excited for a little bit there. No, um, I do think I would extrapolate it though. I would say the improvement in Sterling since Pep Guardiola took over has been re- really impressive. Um, I always, under Pellegrini, seemed to not be quite so confident, not enjoying in life and his football so much. And under Pep, he just seems to, Pep has got the best out of him, but that's, that's over the last season and a bit rather than the last couple of months, I would say. And for those who thought that Sanchez for Sterling was always a good idea, I, I never liked that idea. Um, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty terrible idea to kind of give up on someone who you spent fifty million pounds on, you know, a couple of years ago, and who was a lot younger than Sanchez. And look what Guardiola's done, and he's pretty much shown us exactly why that would have been a terrible idea. If what? Sanchez comes in in January, yeah. which we're all still thinking might happen, and all right, Sterling might not go the other way. Mm. And I, I know that the team is fluid and it isn't necessarily the team every week. Who makes way for Sanchez in that team? To me, it's Sterling. Right, well, you've been telling me for weeks now that it's not as simple as just 11 players. So you've just turned that on its head. Well, I qualified it by saying that. Uh, but I still think that in the, that, the Napoli game or you know, the Derby match or whatever, if you've got Sanchez and St- Sterling and everybody's fit, I'd still choose Sanchez over Sterling despite the advances he's made now that's not me rubbishing uh, Sterling, Sterling's had a lot of very unfair criticism over the top criticism and he's definitely improved and so I'm not really, as much as I'm teasing you um, disagreeing with you James, you know, Sterling has massively improved um, and it's nice to see that but I still think that he's got a way to go yet and if you're really looking for the the absolute top notch, uh, you know, so that what happened against Napoli, where it looked as if they might even end up drawing that game, doesn't happen, is that you just keep making those slight changes and, and improvements. And and uh, so I still want Sanchez to come if that's a possibility. And he would, in that team that played against Napoli, that would have been the change I'd have made. Yeah, I agree. When you're looking at um, the attacking options, who you could drop out, I think Sterling is he still remains the obvious name, doesn't he? Because I think we all think St- Sane is a, is a bit of a superstar, isn't he? Um, Jesus, you've got to play him all the time, haven't you? We're not, not even brought in Bernardo Silva yet. I was about to say, we? I feel really sorry for Bernardo yeah. Silva, which I know wasn't your question, but I, I do feel a bit sorry for him coming from a Monaco team that was, you know, delighting Europe, and he, he's got his move, he's come to City, which is a good move for him, I'm not saying it's not, but, you know, he's having to be very patient, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we were talking earlier, weren't we? There was a cameo on Tuesday where I think he beat four people on, in the centre circle. And you just thought, how on earth is this guy not starting? His day will come, don't worry. I mean, he's only 23 and the whole team's evolving. Inevitably, there'll be injuries and suspensions and then Bernardo Silva might come in and suddenly he's irremovable from the team, if there's such a word as irremovable. You're <laughs> too <laughs> a wordsmith. No, you made that up. <laughs> but, you know, then, then he, he, he secures, secures <laughs> his position in the team. And, and then he'd be hard to dislodge. All those are valid words, aren't they? I think you did well, mate. Who does he dislodge? Sterling. Who does he dislodge? Yeah, is it Sterling? 
Possibly, but but you know, again, we come back to the uh, when, when we're being serious. This will, will be a team that changes a lot. Okay, there's been a couple of games in a row as we're talking here where he's, he's picked an unchanged team, but that isn't going to happen all the time. Um, that, that there are going to be changes regularly, and uh, so there's a place for them all. I mean, Aguero at the moment isn't in this team. They just beat Stoke seven-two oh. exactly. They just uh, beat Napoli two-one, uh, and Aguero's on the cusp of scoring his his record-breaking or equaling initially goal, and he he's not in the team. Company, you know, where if he gets fit again, does he come back into the team? And Mendy <laughs> can't get in, maybe because uh, Fabian Dell's playing so well. So I don't think Dell's keeping out Mendy. <laughs> well, I was I saying think, I think I think Mendy's knees keeping out Mendy. Yeah, right. maybe. Well, I'd also say the same about Company. If Company's fit, I'm bringing him in. Yeah, I, I, Company's yeah, in for I me. Yeah, he's uh, in for me. Uh, who for? So Mendy. I know the cheese is dropping. It's not as straightforward as you think, but Otamendi to me is the out-and-out defender in that in that City team. John Stones could arguably be regarded as one of the most improved players this season in that under Pep and the way that they want to play, Stones, whilst I'm not a huge fan of him as an out-and-out defender, I understand why Pep uses him in that role and on what his role is. And he plays it very well. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of statistics. So when I read statistics like John Stones has had more completed passes in the Champions League than anybody else. I think, yeah, because he's playing in his own half and most of his passes are back to his keeper mm. or sideways to somebody. So that statistic you should just throw out the window. But there is an importance in that role. And Stones can intercept, you know, but I still think he's vulnerable defensively. So in my perfect team, because I know company can play as well, to be honest, company would come in probably for Stones. I'd like to see company alongside Stones for a, whether we actually ever get that chance. Company alongside Stones for a sustained run of games. I'm a big fan of John Stones. You would learn a lot from company, you're right, though. Yeah, I'd just yeah. like to see that as a partnership, and that would be my ideal. Well, it yeah. felt like Guardiola didn't really trust Stones in a back four, didn't it? Which is why when he went for the back four, it was company and Otamendi. Yeah. However, Stones has played so well alongside Otamendi, maybe now he would trust him in a back four with. Well, the other night, uh, our, our mutual friend Stuart Brennan uh, gave uh, John Stones 9 out of 10 against Napoli. What did Napoli. you think about that rating? Uh, I didn't agree with it. Um, and he gave Fernandinho a 5 out of 10. What did you think about that? I didn't agree <laughs> with that either. And, uh, and, and Stuart walked past me in the press box and uh, just sort of looked down on me because he is a big man, isn't he? And he said, um, but, but, but metaphorically looked down on me as well and he said, have you changed your mind yet again about John Stones? Because he knows I have reservations about him defensively. Uh, and I said, well, no, not really. You know, I, 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 And then he walked away. So, so at least in this format, I can explain the circumstances as I hope I have. I'm not saying that John Stones is a terrible player uh, by any means. He's a lovely, stylish footballer and, and he's a very intelligent footballer. But I still think that when it really comes to it in the absolutely huge games, not against Stoke, not against Burnley, not against the, the so-called run-of-the-mill teams in the Premier League, of which, sadly, there are quite a few, but in the really, really huge games, you know, when it's, when it's Lukaku um, you know, and Rashford against City or, or when it's uh, Ronaldo or whatever, that's when I would worry about John Stones ultimately. And whilst Otamendi 
is, is by no means a perfect defender. What he is, he's an, he's an absolute out-and-out out defender whose, whose thought process is first and foremost to defend. Whereas John Stones is, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but John Stones' first thought is about distribution, about interception, about perhaps even organisation of, of, of the defence and where everybody is. So... Um, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not here. I'm not rubbishing John Stones. You're not rubbishing he, a lot of people. But he's, he's, he's <laughs> at the end of. <laughs> but he, he wasn't a nine out of ten in that performance, in my opinion. And Fernandinho, who, okay, he gave away the penalty or one of the penalties, was not a, a five out of ten. What game was Stuart? What what game were you watching, Stuart? I'm just glad that John Stones has been rescued from the mess at Everton. Well, I would. Uh, going on from your point, cheesy. I would worry about any defender against Ronaldo. Just look what he did to Juventus in the Champions League final. And I think that an improvement in Stones this season is in those games. Company did all right against Ronaldo in that semi-final. Mm, yeah. <coughs> I think uh... <laughs> <laughs> only Gareth Bale scored in that goal. It was nil-nil and one-nil. Gareth Bale scored one wonder goal. I, Company I, had him in his pocket I think while he's playing. Ronaldo tends to get the better of most of the players he comes up against, but. That wasn't the point I was making. The improvement in John Stones is that it was precisely those Stoke games where he was getting caught out. And he's not this season. So that's surely that in itself. That's why he's, it's, I, I, I recognise that he's made a big improvement. That, and that, that proves the point, really. Well, we mentioned earlier that Pep has done that strangest of things, which is to name an unchanged side, not only once, but twice. Uh, and those three games against Chelsea, Stoke and Napoli, I think we'd all agree, were probably the best they've played this season, certainly up to the first half against Napoli. And that was done with only two new signings from the summer. What does that tell us? That he's had a very good transfer window and bring it, brought in the players that he needs. Yeah, but my, my point was more that um, he's only had two new players in that. So this is the same team, essentially, as last season. So actually, which played saying the opposite yeah. of what you're saying. I know, I was just trying to be difficult. <laughs> and by looking at his face, it worked. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I wish we'd had that on camera. <laughs> yeah. I'll finish my point eventually. <laughs> yeah, go on then. <laughs> so, essentially, this is the same team as last season, which were generally frustrating. Is this not a triumph of his coaching? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... He, he he was learning. He was learning uh, the Premier League. His players were learning his methods, and um, it's it's taken a while. Um, but you know, football in the Premier League is so fast and furious and physical, and nobody seems to respect anybody, which is quite right. And thank goodness for that, because otherwise the games wouldn't be as competitive generally as they are. So it's taken a little while, and it seems to be clicking now. Everything's happening now. The players are. Are understanding what he's trying to do. That defensive formation, um, you know, with Stones and Otamendi, is working because of the way City are playing going forward. Um, so, despite the fact that forget the individuals, the perception that most people have of City is that they're still vulnerable defensively. But that's right. You know what? I bumped. But it's also a byproduct of playing the way City are playing, which is to play this gorgeous, attractive, pouring forward, attacking football. And this week I was walking through the Trafford Centre and I bumped into Roy Cheatham, who was a player who played for City um, at the end of the, right at the end of the 50s and into the 60s. Um, perhaps not one of those names that immediately springs to everybody's mind. But Roy was, I, I had a brief chat to him and he said, the team I played in when I first came in conceded as many goals as they scored. 
Um, so I know what it's like to play in a team that are pouring forward and, and, and are great to watch. The risk is that you become a little bit vulnerable defensively. Does that matter? It did in that team because they conceded as many as they scored. But in this team, scoring so so they conceded two when they scored seven against Stoke. So what? They conceded actually only penalties against Napoli. Let's get that right as well. They weren't outfield goals. So the defence essentially sort of worked even against Napoli. Even though no we knew knew it wasn't quite as as efficient and City weren't quite at it. But, you know, if, if they're going out and playing the way they are at the moment so that you're not trying to find that one perfect goal to win a game 1-0, that you know that you're almost always going to get two or three goals in a game, so what, you concede one. So what, you concede two. Because the whole philosophy is built on on um, even your, your defenders, Stones, being and the goalkeeper, of course, being completely clued into what where the opportunities are up front. The other thing um, I would say about Pep's coaching is the fact that he hasn't brought in players who are the finished article, has he? He's brought in young players. He's brought in Bernardo Silva, who's 23, this Leroy Sane. I'm not saying they're automatically going to improve without Pep's coaching, but it does seem that he wants to bring in players who, who are not the finished article. And look at the, the increase in value that Leroy Sane would have now if he were to flog Leroy Sane on the open market. And he, 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 that's why Sanchez might be a little bit of an outlier. How much improvement are you going to get out of Sanchez in the next couple of years? Does this show he was right all along last season? Or did he deserve the criticism he got for for City not winning any trophies? I think he deserves some of the criticism, not necessarily for not winning trophies, because there's only so many trophies to go around. But I think he, he, has, he has adapted his method slightly. I'm not saying that he's ever going to change his philosophy, but I think he has... Um, adapted a little bit to the Premier League and he's, he's got these players playing a really exciting style but that does work better than it was doing last season and so you know whether the criticism was justified or not he's, he has clearly learned from it hasn't he? Not so much the criticism but from what was going wrong. Yeah I, I, I mean I think it's a bit of a triumph of his stubbornness but I also think he deserved the criticism last season because you do have to whatever he did last season it didn't work yeah. in, in the sense of work you know it, it didn't win a trophy which that was an expectation. But now, 12 months on, it's looking like he was right all along to be beating that drum because if this is the product of a season where you don't win a trophy, then I think it's well worth it. Well, yeah, it wasn't a terrible season no, last year, was no, it? Sorry, it wasn't a sixth or seventh place finish. It was, it was pretty good all round. And then, uh, then you've got this season, which I will be very surprised if it does not yield a trophy at the end of it. One thing I would add to this is that I heard a debate about Harry Kane um, the other day about... The, the fact that when he was a young player, he was playing, I think, in the same team as, uh, as Robbie Keane. Um, and the criticism of Kane was that every time he got the ball, he shot. And this was when he was a young player. And half the time, they went over the bar or well wide. And this, this really strikes at the heart of what, what, where English football sometimes... Um, everything looks good at junior level because everybody's about winning every game and not allowing players to develop. So you're talking about last season, Pep Guardiola's team, and the, f the fact that it was a season of transition and development, which has led to this season. The argument is that if Harry Kane had been overcoached at that time when he was firing shots in and they were going wide, a uh, coach might have said to him, or Robbie Keane might have said to him, pass to me, you know, 
pl play. Don't don't go for the spectacular shot every time. You know, just just play play the safer ball, the good ball. Kane carried on playing from what I'm told. I didn't see him at junior level, but he played that way throughout his youth. So now, as he reeks, reaches his peak in Tottenham side, most of those shots are going in. But it needed that development time to get to that stage. So it feels to me as if, if, if that shows what the stubborn, you use the word stubborn, Pep, Pep's belief in himself and belief in what he's trying to do is, is, has to have an element of patience in it. So City are now reaping that, that reward. Um, and I've used this example before, I'm sure, but I remember um, a game when, um, and I, I've harkened back to this already, but back to the 82 World Cup when Zico was playing for Brazil and he tried an overhead kick that went wildly off target. And John Motson, who was commentating that day, I'll never forget this, he said, um, that's the trouble with these Brazilians. They try this spectacular stuff, and uh, and, and that's why you know it, it doesn't work, or you know, it should have played the simple ball. In the very next game that Brazil played, Zico tried exactly the same thing, another overhead kick, and it went into the top corner. The same commentator, John Motson, said, that's why Brazilians are the best players in the world. But you can't have it both ways. You can't. You have to have. You have to accept that if if you're going to score a spectacular goal, if Bernardino's effort had gone wide uh, against Stoke, then somebody somebody somewhere would have said he should have played the simple ball. He should have passed it. You know, when it goes in, you say brilliant goal. So you have to try these things, and you have to have last season. Come back to where we started last season, that season of development. And it might even be that this season ends up being another season of development, if, unlikely as I think it is, and as clearly Alex thinks it is, but maybe you don't because you think Jose Mourinho will come out on top in this battle. That, that, I'm not entirely sure I've said that. <laughs> I'm sure that was the headline I saw in the news. But anyway, I don't remember saying that. Um, that, that, that this is, continues to develop everything on and um, eventually you'll get there. So I... I you know, there were, there were times when City got beat at Everton last season, got battered, when they got heavily beaten at Leicester as well. I can't deny, as much as I'm a, a Pep Guardiola fan, that I didn't walk away from those grounds thinking, is this right? Is this going to work? Is it, maybe it won't work. And I had all those doubts. But Pep knows best, doesn't he? You are taking everyone down today, Cheesy. It's uh, 35 years on, take that, John Motson. Uh, Stuart Brennan's match ratings as well. Anyone else? Not that you're rubbishing. Well, them. obviously, I'm always having a go at you, James. <laughs> Putting words in my mouth as well, apparently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Misquoting. There's no point in me sitting here and being dull, is there? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. We wouldn't have you back. Just to bring back some Cheese's original <laughs> points, which you made a while ago, but it was talking about John Stones' passing stats and how they are great. And you're right, and it's your creative players. It should be the most, in inverted commas, frustrating, because surely you want to try... If you, they want to try the difficult three balls, and if they try it four times and it, co and it only comes off once, you've scored. And that, that's the difference between what a defensive, more defensive-minded player should be doing and then someone like Leroy Sane or Raheem Sterling. Surely you're not expecting them to hit that three ball every time, but it's worth persevering with because when you do it, oh, there's a, there's a goal, you've got behind the defence. I and agree with, perfectly with that. Again, it's, 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 I wasn't having a go at Stones for, for the overpassing. <laughs> it, it's, it's just... All I'm saying is if you read a stat like that, don't read into it. That means he's the best passer yeah, in the world. I agree. It's a stat that is misleading in a sense. But you, you're right in what you say. 
that's the trouble with stats, isn't it? You look at them on, on the paper and you go, oh, that's everything. But you need to analyse the, the, the numbers behind the stats. You can't just use that number as if that's, that's proven your point. What's this new stat, by the way, that they keep showing about goals earned or should have been scored? What's that new stat that they... Oh, XG. Yeah, what's all that <laughs> that's about? expected goals. Yeah, so. that's it, expected. What I've on earth that, is all that, that about? Is, well, I've, I've heard it mentioned, but I've not actually looked into it. Well, it, it's the mathematical, if you play a certain style, how many goals you'd be expected to score, i.e. no one hits the post or, or whatever, I think. But it, So, for example, United against Liverpool, I think you probably have a, an XG of 0.1 or something like that because oh. there's never liked to be a goal scored. Um, with City against Stoke, I'd be very interested to see that one in terms of were they expected to score seven or were they expected to score 12 based on the amount of attacking that they were doing. Who's come up with this? Stephen Hawking? It's not a football <laughs> stat that means anything, I'm, Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. It's some kind of computer in a room, isn't it? When, and that's that's coming back to Pep's style. You don't watch football to see XG. You, you go for the exciting moments. You, Correct. You know. As football fans, we want... Guardiola's style to be the right way, don't we? You, yeah. that's, that's what you want to watch. We want to see goals. We want to see attacking football. It's also the the hardest way to play, isn't it? To actually, as he says, to always be forcing forcing the issue, be proactive, not reactive. And he's been brave in doing that, hasn't he? Really? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when when he was at Barcelona, and Jose was at Real Madrid, um, it, it felt a little bit. I mean, I've, I have no particular reason to support Barcelona or Real Madrid in those games because I'm, I'm not, you know, from, from that part of the world. And so, you know, my, my team's City. But it felt a little bit, and I know this is a cliche and it feels like I'm, I'm talking about pantomimes here, but it felt a bit like good versus evil, you know, in, t in footballing terms. I wanted, as you've just said, the attacking, positive, creative, smiley football to win over the more cynical, defensive um, way of playing. And, and I'll always feel like that. I think Real Madrid might claim differently. I think they're, they're a different team now. Completely I think different. Mourinho's team broke the record of goals scored. Maybe, but it's the style of football <laughs> I'm talking about. In that, that anti-football that, kind of way. The statistics mean nothing, doesn't they? <laughs> I think amount of goals means something, doesn't it? If yeah. we can read anything into anything. Yeah, all right, then. I'll give you that. Moving on. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne. We can't stop talking about him, can we? Um, he's wonderful. We'd all agree, of, all agree with that. And so his agent has started talking about a new contract. We know that approaches have been made between player and club over a new deal. Uh, his agent, helpfully, gave us a marker of the sort of money he'll be expecting, which, in his words, were the, uh, the sort of, was the sort of money that Neymar's on which we think is around £600,000 a week. One word answer, is Kevin De Bruyne worth £600,000 a week? Pay him the money. That's no, I'm no. That's because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't want to say yes or no, to be honest. Because uh, uh, is any player worth that? And as soon as you pay any player that sort of money, you cause concerns in the dressing room because you'd be getting Gabriel Jesus saying, well, I should be on, say, 400000 or whatever it is. And we're already seeing at PSG, it's not exactly all rosy there is it um so no it's can it's, i stop you there for a second let's don't stop her she's talking sense we don't want that <laughs> let's move away from the fact that we accept that all money in football is ludicrous okay that wasn't really that's not like the that. point she was so, making thank you let's carry on i was saying it's 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 not the the figure it's how it's related to the rest of the people in your dressing room surely you know if 
any money is meaningless as soon as you go to the fo- footballers' money. If you've got everybody on, say everybody's on the squads between 100 and £150,000 a week for, for the sake of argument, then you're suddenly going to pay someone three or four times that. Then suddenly you're going to get everybody else going, well, hang on a second. Yes, he may be your best player, but he's not that much better than me. I'm. You can't. You still couldn't play the way you're playing without me. And then you, you start causing some ructions. So, no, I don't think they should pay him that much, but I do think they should pay him a lot of money and get the deal signed. So, I suppose the point for me is more, is Kevin De Bruyne at the level of Neymar? Because that's what we're talking about, really. If Neymar is worth £200 million, um, is Kevin De Bruyne at that level? Should his agent even be putting him in that bracket? They're very different types of players. That so wasn't the question. No, I know it isn't, but you can't make that straight comparison. Yeah, his agent has. Well, he can his agent's make... job is to get to borrow as much money as possible. It's Correct. not to talk sense. Okay, so it's a yes or no question. Is he it, isn't a, it isn't a yes or no question. You might want to make it a yes or no question. <laughs> that makes this a very short podcast anyway. We just say yes or no to your answers. right? You can sort of compare Messi and Ronaldo because they're both goal scorers, even though they're very different players. You can sort of put... Neymar in that bracket too, but that isn't what De Bruyne is. He's in the engine. He's more of a of an Iniesta type of player. So therefore, I don't think there is a straight comparison. Well, the bracket I'm talking about is the bracket of best players in the world. Right. So is he one Zinedine of the best Zidane, players in the world? Zinedine yes. Zidane was a very very different player to Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. But you would bracket all of them as among the best players ever to kick the ball. Yeah, no. So that's the point I'm making. Is Kevin De Bruyne in that bracket of Neymar, Ronaldo, Messi, where he needs to be paid the most money in the world? Needs to be. Should be. Deserves to be. Will be. Has to be. I understand. I agree that he's in that bracket. Okay. I don't think you can quite put him in that bracket yet. I think he's. I think he's on the trajectory to get there, though. But again. It, it's very, very difficult to start breaking your wage structure in quite in quite that manner for 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 one player, for me. And that's imagine if James, that imagine if, and he probably is. Mm. James was on twice as much as you are, Alex. That would that would cause resentment, wouldn't you? Because you'd think, well, I'm more talented than him anyway. <laughs> and sitting where I am at the moment, I can't argue with that. <laughs> so, so why should he get twice? So it does cause that that sort of imbalance, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and that is the danger, isn't it? And we, I suppose we're seeing that, or. We're going to be seeing that very soon at Tottenham, aren't we? This mm. is the problem they've got. They've got a lot of very similarly talented players. Our producer Callum's a Tottenham fan. He's nodding away there. We've got <laughs> very similarly talented players and all of a sudden people like Harry Kane and Deli Ali are going to start earning the big, big money. Or if if they're going to stay or they're <laughs> yeah. going to go. And I suppose that's City's issue, isn't it? If, if De Bruyne is as good as we think he is, as good as he looks he's going to be, they're going to have to pay him that sort of money or Barcelona, Real Madrid... Paris Saint-Germain are going to come calling. I think De Bruyne is very happy in City and I don't really think he's the sort of player who's necessarily going to rock the boat for that sort of big move. I think he's a very different personality to Neymar and Ronaldo, certainly. Um, De Bruyne's agent, his goal is to get De Bruyne as much money as possible. He's probably not thinking anywhere near that sort of money, but his job is to go and get as much money as he possibly can out of City. And so... For us to be discussing agents' comments, it's it's just a little bit silly, is it? Especially in view of what's happened with Yaya Toure in the last year or two, mm. when his agent has got involved in all sorts of stuff, and yet ultimately, um, you know, Yaya Toure, who now is hardly playing, 
still seems to be quite happy at City. So um, I think that shows that Pep and behind the scenes have a way of dealing with it. But of all of the, the teams to not want to disrupt the team ethic, mm. this is the one because City is all about the team. You, you know, in recent years, Barcelona, <laughs> and of course Pochettino brought this up recently, that when he was at Espanyol, they didn't call Barcelona a messy team, um, and yet we're calling or Pep in his, his own way after a game called Tottenham a uh, Harry Kane team. Um, I don't think we want to ever get into a situation where City are a De Bruyne team or a Jesus team or whatever because the whole secret to where they're playing at the moment is to be a team. I don't think they will be, because as good as well, I think... Will be, if, if, oh, there is a danger, shall we say, that they might be if it comes out that De Bruyne is on twice as much money well, as Well, I think the danger else. there is what Alex is saying, that I don't think De Bruyne is so significantly better than a number of players at City that he could possibly be paid so significantly more. I'm not saying he shouldn't be paid among the best money in the world but I think if he does there are four or five players who get that I think Gabriel Jesus um, Danny Murphy just this week said he's the best young player he's seen since Messi I, th I think if you're looking at that City team he is the player who maybe end up ending up on the sort of Neymar Messi money I don't I would be surprised if they were to do that with De Bruyne that's, I suppose that would be my point. If I could just bring up an interview with De Bruyne did uh, with City website this morning, no less. Sure. A bit, it, it harks back to that team ethic, though, because he was saying that he's always played like this. And if you look at his numbers from Belgium and Germany, that this, you've always have seen that. And he also said, praise is nice, but I'm not that bothered about it. However I play, I go home at the end of the day and I see my family and, that, and that's the end of it. And that is that the sort of player that's going to be agitating for, for Neymar money. I don't think so. So I, d I, don't, I don't think we're going to see much of a problem with this. And I think De Bruyne will get his new contract. It'll be an improved contract. And it should be an improved contract. But I, I don't think we're going to be uh, sat here talking in a few months about De Bruyne throwing his toys out the pram because he's not getting played £600,000 a week. Thank goodness. Well, the other point is he's got four years left on his contract. So why are we even discussing this? Because he deserves to be paid more than he is. He deserves deserve, that Deserves, deserves. That's a word <laughs> I feel uncomfortable with mm. because they already get paid a fortune. But I do understand in the modern way the world is that um, when you're at the peak, you know, footballers are, have a, a relatively short career. But come on, you know, they're all on as much money. One week's wages from Kevin De Bruyne would probably take me to retirement, you know, so and beyond. So, mm. so... It's already ridiculous money. They, they don't need all that money, but they all talk to each other. Yeah, that's the, the issue, the, isn't the, it? The media all, all keep asking these questions. Here we are talking about it. Um, this, this should all be done quietly somewhere. This, we shouldn't even know. This agent shouldn't be talking in public. It, it should all be being done behind closed doors. And up till now, I think City have, have, have pretty much got it right. It's only been when agents have started speaking that... that, that it's caused any of these um, ruptures because as I say maybe Yaya would have been he played a significant part in last season once he was let free as it were but he was he was jailed by his agent's comments in the opening part of the season now I know Yaya's not involved so much this season but we don't want to ever get in a situation like that with De Bruyne or any other player uh, where his skill and ability is, is overshadowed by other things. But um, I'm glad to... I haven't seen that interview that you've seen, Alex, but that doesn't surprise me what he said. 
and it does warm my heart a little mm. bit that he speaks that way um, and, and it has always struck me I did I did a column a couple of weeks ago in a com- comparing uh, Colin Bell and Kevin De Bruyne and saying that there was more than just the footballing comparisons but there was also this sort of modest type of grounded individual comparison between the two and um, and that is evident in what he said today I remember Louis Figo saying he'd never go to Real Madrid shortly before he went to Real Madrid Oh, you're always a sceptic, James, aren't uh, you? With, with, regards to, with, with regards to Torre, uh, I think that's a pretty unique situation. I don't think we'll see anything like that again. That, that's a unique relationship he's got with his agent. His agent is also a, a unique character. What I would also Good say is use, yeah. what I would also say is that he didn't do him too bad, his agent. No. Over the time, he earned, he earned Yaya Torre a, a lot of money, got him good deals. So... I know that he's been infuriating to City fans, infuriating to City's owners, but he didn't do too badly by by Torre. This is, as Alex said, this is the, an agent's job to get as much money as they possibly can. But I think the thing with City is, I'm trying to think of the last time since they've been owned, since the Abu Dhabi ownership, when did a player leave as a result of being unhappy with his personal terms? Yeah, I don't I think it's happened, does it? No. No, they tend to. Uh, I think they tend to look after. Players, don't know. People players. like Aguero might well have been the type in the past who would have said, "I can earn this going to Real Madrid or Barcelona," and it's just never been a, a mention, has it? Whoever's doing whatever's happening behind the scenes that we we're not party to is doing a good job. Well, that wraps up another episode of Talking City. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you want all the latest episodes as and when they happen, you can subscribe via iTunes or Audio Boom. I remembered this time; there was no pause. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.